Welcome to the Wheatful Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Goff, and I'm so excited you're here. I'm an online product shop owner over at Wheat & Honey Co., a business strategist leading women-owned, profitable, and purposeful businesses, and your host here at the Wheatful Woman Podcast. Join us as we have fun and soulful conversation with a bunch of girlfriends pursuing a life full of intention and purpose. We are here to give you space and tools for your holistic wellness journey and hope you leave each episode feeling a bit more full than when you came. All right, Wheatful Women, let's dive in. Hey, Wheatful Women, we are here at the finale episode of season two. And if you've been around, you know it is important to me that each season of this podcast ends with a male voice. So last season, we heard from my husband, Michael Goff, and this season, you're going to not only hear from Michael again, but also from our friends, Carrie and Ro. Today's episode is a bit different than what we are accustomed to here at the Wheatful Woman podcast. My husband, Michael, and I had the pleasure of inviting some friends over for dinner and having a conversation over our dinner table to share with you here. These friends of ours are forces for the kingdom, and they are shaking the ground beneath their feet. The best way I know how to put it is the way that I have put it from the beginning. These friends of ours are so tangibly doing the work of Jesus here on earth. The content of this episode speaks to the human trafficking industry, so I do want to share that here in case there are youngins around. This episode may not be appropriate for their young ears. But I would like to take a moment before diving in to introduce you to Freedom Shield Foundation and our friends Carrie and Ro. This is going to be a bit different than my normal introductions. Normally, I give you a few quick fun facts and we jump right into the conversation. But today, it's really appropriate for me to share who Freedom Shield Foundation is, who Ro is, and who Carrie is. Freedom Shield Foundation and its operational partner rescue thousands of women and children from human trafficking and provide advanced trauma care to the survivors whom they serve. They also provide training and resources to those involved in the fight against trafficking, both nationally and internationally. Freedom Shield Foundation is one of the most effective anti-trafficking organizations in the world. Since their inception in 2009, they have rescued thousands of victims from human slavery. Our friend Carrie Grace is the executive director of the Freedom Shield Foundation and is an international expert in the specialized field of trauma recovery and restoration for victims of human trafficking. She has developed advanced protocols and standards in the space, and her programs are being used in prevention, education, and restoration services around the world. In 2016, Carrie founded the nonprofit organization Valiant Hearts, which has served victims in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, as well as several other nations. In 2017, she helped establish the first long-term care program for victims of sex trafficking in Scotland. Over the course of her career, she has provided advisory services in the United States, Southeast Asia, and the Middle East. Carrie's programs are currently being employed in Scotland, the Middle East, and the United States. She has also trained and advised members of government, law enforcement, education, the medical community, churches, and NGOs. Her passion is to equip communities to serve individuals impacted by human trafficking with compassionate, restorative care. And now for our friend Ro. 
For over 10 years, he has served as founder and executive director of a nonprofit organization dedicated to combating organized crime, insurgency groups, and terrorist organizations involved in child sex trafficking, organ trafficking, and child soldier recruitment globally. Mr. Lopez is a former FBI special agent and served in the El Paso, San Juan, and Dallas divisions investigating drug trafficking, money laundering, kidnappings, extortion, police corruption, child sexual exploitation, transnational organized crime, and Mexican drug cartels. He also served on three field division FBI SWAT teams as an operator and sniper. Upon departure from the FBI, he served as a director of security for a world-renowned evangelist gaining experience in 40 nations and five continents. Mr. Lopez then served in roles at Bank of America as an insider threat security consultant, senior crisis manager, and corporate security strategic intelligence manager. He also served as director of security for iSight Partners, a cyber intelligence company. He is currently the owner and senior managing director of Hawkwood Group LLC, a global investigation, human intelligence, and crisis management firm. So with all of that, I want to invite you to not only listen to this episode, but to be a part of it. Our prayer over this episode and over this conversation was that every human being that encounters it would be moved, that we would be moved to be aware, that we would be moved to pray, and that we would also be moved to give of our time and financial resources. So with that, I invite you into our conversation. I invite you into our apartment. I invite you to our dinner table. Here's our conversation with Carrie and Roe. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Michael and I are sitting here at our dinner table with our friends Carrie and Roe, and we're excited for you guys to meet them. They are with Freedom Shield Foundation, and Carrie and I have known each other for probably about two or three years now. Is that right? Yeah. I think two or three years. And we were introduced through a mutual friend at Michael and I's church and have been learning slowly and surely all the things that they're doing and we're excited to have a conversation today to hear more yeah it'll be real good yeah we just had some pizza and (laughs) we're gonna dive right in with you guys so I'd love to just throw it over to you guys and welcome you and ask you to share a little bit about your stories and your passion and the work that you're doing and let our community get to know you guys a little bit Thanks so much, Brittany and Michael. I think Rose should start this conversation because he's the one that started this organization. So go Rose. <laughs> okay. So there I was surrounded by nine, no wait, ten ninjas. Okay. That's <laughs> only kidding. Yeah. <clears throat> I was, um, I, it was 2009, November, uh, Thanksgiving Day. Mm-hmm. And um, I was working for a uh, big bank here in, in, in the DFW area. And um, I got an email from a nurse uh, friend of mine who had uh, I'd been helping her with feeding uh, mm-hmm. she was doing work in Haiti and stuff like that and uh, she emailed me and a bunch of other people on her list that uh, 15 men had, had broken into an orphanage um, outside of Nairobi, Kenya early in the early hours of Thanksgiving morning and there was 33 kids there and the house mother that took care of them and the men came into the place to rob it. And um, in doing so, they beat the house mother, put her in a coma, nearly killed her. And they uh, then went on and they 
they raped a little 10 year old and a 14 year old little girl. So I'm reading this email and immediately there's that, that righteous anger that swells up and, and you know, the holy anger, if you will, um, knowing that that was obviously not only wrong, but that there was men, um, such as myself with my kind of background that, that could make a difference immediately. That stuff like that should be happening in the world. So I remember, uh, you know, falling my knees in prayer and just uh, asking the Lord, first of all, was, Lord, how, how does something like this happen? But then realizing that, that a skill set or a talent that he's already blessed you with, it's just a simple turn around and use it so it doesn't happen again. So I remember calling my dad up and asking him, uh, am I saying calling? The, he, was at, he, was at, he was at the house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I yelled out to the kitchen, I go, hey, Dad. And um, I asked him to be on, on board uh, with our organization uh, that I was literally about to start. Mm -hmm. I called another fr friend of mine uh, who I knew from the past, so we didn't work together, and he was a, a naval special warfare type guy. And I asked if he would uh, if he'd be on my board. Mm -hmm. So I had a board of three, me, my dad, and my, my, my good friend. Um, that was on a Thursday. I think my Friday, um, I prayed to the Lord and give me the name Orphan Secure was the organization at the time. And by Monday, we filed our paperwork with the state. By Tuesday, we were a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And um, six months later, you know, we had a nonprofit letter. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I learned, because I was already involved in another ministry at the time, um, that was totally different from this one. Um, I, I've always known that when, when either the Lord puts a desire in our heart or, or it's just something that we prayed about mm -hmm. and he says, yeah, do it, that when we are willing not just to give of our time, and sacrifice time, but when we give of our own finances mm -hmm. and want to start something and we believe it's, it's his cause and all that, there's something in that. Um, and I forget the scripture right now, but it says not to forsake the, the small, small beginnings. Mm -hmm. And that scripture has always stayed with me in everything I've always done. And for that reason, because I know the Lord blesses it. And I've seen him that when we do, in, in ministry prior to even this one, when you do put money, your own mm -hmm. money into it, you're sacrificing it. He's watching, and I believe he comes along and says, okay, I can get behind this. Mm -hmm. I can support it. I can bless it. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, now we're hitting 11 years of the organization, mm -hmm. I don't mind staying small mm -hmm. uh, because it's always, it keeps us close to the Lord. Mm -hmm. It keeps us uh, just remembering who he is mm -hmm. and his faithfulness. So um, within a couple of months, uh, we were going to be doing uh, orphanage security around the world, uh, mainly Africa. And it was real expensive early on because we were putting in, you know, I was putting in my own money and uh, my dad was helping and, and things like that. And we were able to, to secure a couple of orphanages in that area. And as expensive as it got, we thought, you know what, we need to go closer to home. Mm -hmm. So we started looking at all the orphanages that were in harm's way between El Paso, Texas, down to Brownsville, Texas, on the Mexican side, on the border. And we identified uh, 11 orphanages. They were constantly in the news where, you know, the cartels were fighting each other and the kids were being shot or were having, you know, duck for cover. And so we were coming in and we said, look, we can come and do uh, safe rooms that we can build within mm -hmm. the, the buildings. Um, give them, you know, update, upgrade their locks and uh, give them, um, you know, rod iron gates and, and alarms and cameras and all that stuff. It's all physical security stuff. And then we started realizing we could help them with their crisis management planning, you know, how to handle these things that happen. Not just those, but everything from a tornado to bad weather, things mm -hmm. like that. Things that they don't, orphanages don't plan that, especially in Mexico. Um, well, uh, we started doing that for 
a couple of months or about six months, the first six months of the organization, and um, a lot of former military guys are being drawn to it. Uh, we're, I think we're in the middle of the time of the Afghanistan. We were in Afghanistan at the time, the country was. And we were getting a lot of soldiers that were coming back wounded or with PTSD and things. And they were happy to find our organization. We, were, we didn't have a website or anything else, but it was just word of mouth. So we were getting to a point where literally every weekend we were driving nine hours to the border after work on a Friday at five. All the guys would join, wow. take a team of six or seven guys. Mm-hmm. We'd go stay. We get in about three in the morning on a Saturday. We wake up at seven, cross over the border, and we work till literally midnight, and then drive back Sunday. Or drive back to our hotel on Sunday, Saturday night, mm-hmm. and then drive back Sunday back here, and everybody go back to work on Monday. So we did that probably three weeks out of the month for a long time. So we we're able to to do a lot of work with a lot of orphanages. Mm-hmm. In that. Um, there was a healing process that was going on with all these guys because they had seen so much death and destruction. Mm-hmm. And these are guys with amputated you know, feet, and a missing arm, a hand, finger. They, they're all soldier, right. soldiers. Yeah. That I would put them on a camera just to get some footage. Obviously not to publicize it, but just to get footage. Yeah. And um, every guy that would share just broke into tears yeah. about what that meant to have little orphans grabbing their legs and they'd go play football and you're, you know, hugging them and just that, yeah. that, that whole deal. So it was a big deal. Um, we, that, we did that for about six months and then uh, I'll fast forward to today. Today we handle, we help well over, you know, 5,600 kids in 14 nations. Mm. And these are big orphanage associations or big groups. Um, one is a Catholic-based one out of Mexico City, and they have, you know, like they have a thousand orphans, orphans in one place, for mm. example. Then we've got Haiti, Honduras, all over the world, wow. and we handle all their, uh, all their kidnappings, all their extortions that come from organized crime groups to their directors. Um, one of the things with nonprofits is they tend to publicize a lot of the money that they're bringing in donation-wise. So organized crime groups say, "Oh, look, you know, they bring in forty-two million dollars. Let's kidnap yeah. the executive director." So. We go and we handle all their all their stuff, or I handle them over the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, we average a lot of extortions during the year, maybe one kidnapping every year. It's not not a lot, but and we don't ever pay ransom. We're negotiating corn crops or right. you know, something that <laughs> yeah. that the orphans can afford to do. Um, so it's been that that has been a blessing to us. We still have that orphan secure program, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, within six months after that, uh, because of the church I was attending and. Um, the pastors came to me and asked me about 821, the, t- told me that, hey, they're about to um, start an office in Bulgaria. Would you like to go, you know, they, they could use help. So I went under their name, brought another guy with me, went and trained the Bulgarian National Police um, on some things. That made the relationship stronger. When, once you once you get the government involved in the country by yeah. training them or helping them, they say, okay, now what do you need? Mm-hmm. Especially if the training went well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? So uh, A21 launched after that there in Bulgaria. That helped a little bit. Um, then the next call I get is to go to Chiang Mai, Thailand. So we're not even their seventh or eighth month as an organization. And um, we, I was asked to go secure a, an orphanage in, in, in Chiang Mai. And um, when I got there, we were there for a couple of days. And I will, probably the third day we were there, was we're one day away from leaving back here to the states, um, and I get a, I'm, I'm gonna take a shower, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit says you need to get to Bangkok, mm-hmm. and I'm going, 
Bangkok. We prepared, we're not prepared right. to go to Bangkok. So the guys are with me. I said, you don't even believe this, but we need to go to Bangkok. So we booked, went to the airport, grabbed our bags, booked the flight, and took off to Bangkok. It's which is a nine-hour drive. It's about a two-hour flight. In the process, I only knew one guy who had connections in Bangkok at the time. So I called him up, and I had never met that guy in person. I'd only talked to him, and uh, I said, "Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm not sure if this is. I'm pretty sure it's about human trafficking. I just don't know what else we're going to do." And he says, "Go ask for General So and So." So. I called the local um, embassy there, and I mm -hmm. met with one of their FBI legal attaché guys, and he came out, met, met us across the street from their office, and we talked for hours. And he was a young agent, um, been in, he was in about 13 years, so he's still full of, you know, mm -hmm. fire in him and stuff. And we started talking about why we're there. You know, we told him we thought, hey, we might want to do some counter human trafficking work here. We're just up in Chiang Mai working with this orphanage. There's a lot of sex trafficking going. On. They're rescuing sex trafficked orphans, things like that. So God was already doing something in in in, in me and in our in the team. It was a very small team at the time. And um, when I told him the general we were going to see, he couldn't believe me. He goes, nobody sees that general. Nobody gets in to see. Not even us at our in our own agency can we wow. get in to see him. So we went over to the general's office. It was about 11 in the morning. And he clears his entire schedule for the entire day, the rest of the day, to spend with, with me and the guys. And you know, talk about a God-ordained moment. Mm -hmm. The way he went down, yeah. he loved the FBI. Yeah. He had gone to every school, so he wanted to show me all his awards, all his plaques on his wall and stuff like That's that. Awesome. And um, he says, hey, I want to show you something. So after he, he bought us lunch, um, he took us down to this facility and he brings out three um, Malaysian girls and three Malaysian boys. They're eight, nine, and ten. So the six of them total. He said, look at these, these little kids. And um, he says, um, these kids were all kidnapped and drugged mm. and brought from Malaysia to Thailand. And he says, and they were brought here, they were kidnapped, smuggled here. Um, they escaped a house here, in, near, near here, he said. And we remember coming to have sex with them. And because one escaped, our police team was able to go bring them all. And as I'm looking at them, I see my daughter's face, yeah. on, you know, on these girls' faces. And it's that moment where literally that was a Holy Spirit moment. I mean, the guys are with me. We're doing everything not to tear up. I was already yeah. tearing up. And, <laughs> and I, I remember the Lord telling me, he goes, this is your calling for the rest of your life. Yeah. Is to bring these kids out from, from where they're at. Mm. And that changed my life. I mean, it really did at that point. That was 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, it was something that I knew that he was reminding me. Every every season that you have prior to where you're at, if you look back, and, and um, every season I brought you through has just prepared you for the next. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and, and, I, and I can look at it and say, man, this is where I learned this, so we can do this. Yeah. This is where I learned this. And, and, and then when, when, when Carrie and I met... Um, uh, some time ago, I shared my, the whole story with her, and mm -hmm. she, she she showed me the exact same thing. She mm -hmm. goes, "Here's what the Lord is doing with you," and um, so we never looked back. We started in Thailand. Uh, we were there for three years. After that, uh, went on to the Philippines, and we're still there. And we're recovering uh, women and children that are uh, you know, being held by organized crime groups or uh, insurgency groups. You know, the ones that want to overthrow their own government yeah. and terror groups. The ones that are just wreaking havoc. All these groups used women and children and human trafficking to, to fund their efforts. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how we started. Um, and we've been doing work here in the U.S. since then. We've been 
we've been in Iraq and Syria, Libya. Uh, we're doing stuff in Egypt, stuff in Mexico. So Nigeria. We're just, Nigeria as well. So um, everywhere we've gone, I will tell you the, the question I get asked the most is how we choose our operations mm -hmm. or where we're going to go. And what I tell them is that everything we have chosen is usually in the news because it's bad. Mm -hmm. And we choose it because it's impossible for us. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's impossible for us, then that's where we're going to go. Yeah. Because that's where God is going to get all the honor and glory for what's done. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nobody can take that, not, not even us. Doesn't yeah. matter how skilled we are, how well trained we are, how prepared we think we are. It, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Mm -hmm. um, it helps, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. It doesn't change the outcome, mm -hmm. yeah. like we think it does. Because um, so that's how we choose our missions. That's why we were in Iraq, um, mm -hmm. freeing Yazidis or being held by ISIS, and uh, it, it cost us some things. It cost some lives. It cost some other guys whose families were destroyed as a result. Just people that, that not the part of our organization, but more indirectly, people that work decided, "Hey, I'm going to partner with these guys mm -hmm. and work with them." Mm -hmm. Foreign nationals, um, guys, we're still praying for. Them. So those are the things that we have to take on every day. This fight against human trafficking isn't, it's not a pretty fight, but, um, you know, the rescue piece, I would say, is the easiest part. It really is. It's, what, it's the part that we're carrying her, the, the advocates that her people do, which is the restoration piece. That's where mm -hmm. the real work begins. Yeah. So um, that's kind of how it started and got the whole version. So thank you. Good night. <laughs> I think he shared that before. Can you tell us more about the restoration piece and what you work on, Carrie? Yes, so I have been able to work for the last 10 years with women who have been sexually exploited in every way and um, trafficked, and we've worked here in the United States. That's where I've spent 95% of my time is right here, um, in the U.S., but also overseas in Iraq and India and the Philippines and um, Scotland. We got to open mm -hmm. up a safe house in Scotland. And so just seeing this, um, the process from where Roe and his team are able to conduct these rescues and recoveries, which, you know, that's not my skill set at all, you know, but, um, but once they are recovered, that's where their journey is. It starts, it's like a restart for these, these individuals. And they have experienced the most horrific trauma, powerlessness, um, just a loss of any type of security or um, identity. Mm -hmm. Like, it's hard to imagine the, the things that they have endured just to survive. And the fact that they did survive is a miracle and it's a testimony to their resilience. Mm. Um, so if I am in the presence of a survivor, I recognize that I am in the presence of someone who has overcome things I've never even imagined. Mm -hmm. And they, they are worth whatever we can pour into them, whatever investment it takes to help them to be able to experience peace again and mm -hmm. safety um, they're worth that. Mm -hmm. And if they fought that hard to stay alive, to get free, then it is worth whatever our team has to pour into them for as long as it takes. And this isn't a, a one-size-fits-all 
restoration program. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. just not, and you can never look at it that way Mm -hmm. Um, because every single woman has a unique journey of of healing ahead of her. Mm -hmm. So for me and, and my team, it is our privilege to be able to come alongside such amazing, brave women and offer them consistent love mm-hmm. and acceptance mm-hmm. um, for them to to see that we're going to keep showing up and they are worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, these are things that you may have a degree, you may not have a degree. I, that isn't really what is important to me. What's mm-hmm. important to me is that you have a capacity to have the things that God said are eternal. Mm-hmm. Faith, mm-hmm. hope, and love. Mm-hmm. And if they are in the presence of that and they're experiencing the tangible love of Christ, I believe that they can begin that process of being healed and restored and redeemed. So that's what we get to do. And, um, and truly, I have met the most amazing women um, all over the world, and they inspire me. So the fact that I get to serve them for whatever time I get to is an honor for me. Um, and I love seeing those that have, that God has done a work in their lives. And then you see who he intended them to be. They're amazing. I'm like, these women, mm-hmm. no wonder the enemy came mm-hmm. after them so hard mm-hmm. because they're incredible women. And their capacity then to inspire and come alongside those that are just being pulled out of that world like they are the rock stars to Mm -hmm. me that's where I I see the most um, incredible part of this journey is those that have been healed Mm -hmm. then getting to be the ones who are now in that place of of walking others through healing Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that's what we get to do and I I love it Mm -hmm. I I can't even imagine you know doing anything else with my life Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just one thing for someone to be rescued and be, hey, you're good now, you're safe. But then to be met by your team row, you know, for guys like that. And then to be, okay, now Carrie and the advocates are coming along. Not only physically are they being set free from such a dark, dark place, but then from a spiritual standpoint too, and I think that's where the organization just soars past um, a lot of other or- organizations. There are great organizations out there, but there is something where it is life-giving when you receive the Holy Spirit and you're met with someone who is... Um, who knows the word, who I'm speechless. I mean, it's just, it's just how refreshing is that and just watching the Lord work in that way mm-hmm. um, yeah. for those women and children to see someone and probably have heard distant stories of Jesus and a God and oh, who is this? But, oh no, here's a team that... Um, the Lord has blessed them, and they represent the God, and that they are able to see, this is what I've heard about 
for so long and it's just it's just amazing mm-hmm. I just think man just to be met with that kind of force and love um, or a love force really mm-hmm. is just it's incredible mm-hmm. it, it is incredible and it's it, it, it makes perfect sense why um, women and children who you guys have um, pulled out of the depths of darkness will want to say alright so how can we come alongside you you know how can we help you because they see hey they're not only that they didn't just offer me a way out they didn't rescue me from a way out it was a no they because of Christ they saved me they've literally saved me and it's just it's incredible mm-hmm. I love it I love we, it we would hear a lot uh, just at the time that we were in Iraq I know Carrie heard it directly and we, we heard it talking to the people we were working with where they first of all unlike what we hear in the news um, we were operating in Kurdistan which is is like another Israel in the Middle East and these are people that love America they, they, they love George Bush because he saved them you know, from, from destruction by Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. So the Kurd, everybody asked him, do you know George Bush? Because you know, yeah. he's from Dallas too. So, you know, yeah. they all love, they, so it was really cool. But um, if we heard it once, we heard it a thousand times, is that the people come up to you and they say, we know that you're, we don't know you're Jesus, but we know that he loved, he must be of God of love because of how you love us. Mm. It's deep. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's what yeah. the word says. Yeah. We have to be known for our love. Yeah. We don't have to talk about. We don't have to leave with Christ in that moment. They just need to see who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I mean, we heard it a thousand times, but wow. then they look at us as Americans on top of that, and they say, "You Americans, you can do anything. Anything that you put your mind to, you 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 can do it. You're successful. You mm-hmm. you're smart. You're this. That's how they view every American. Yeah. You know. And and then you have you have the Christ to that. And it's um, I'll, I'll share this with you. Uh, an operation we had in the, in the Philippines. Our our in country manager there, uh, just an anointed man. He's, he's he looks like he's all twelve years old. You know he looks real he's kind of kind of skinny, kind of short. And um, anyway, we every time we plan an operation, there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of informants we have to develop. You know we're running the informants are you know not necessarily all there's some are unsavory obviously this in this area they're going to be and we're in a country that's full of insurgency groups terrorism and, and organized crime groups so the, the when you run an informant in this in something um you know for those of you who don't know child, uh, child soldiers and child soldier recruitment falls under human trafficking so does organ trafficking labor trafficking and then what we're talking sex trafficking so we work a lot of the um the the really bad labor stuff, but yeah. we work more the child soldier recruitment mm-hmm. stuff, um, sex trafficking, organ trafficking in the Philippines, all four of them work. So we, we have to come up with an operation. Um, one particular operation was a day's travel for our, for our team and up in the mountains, up in the, the terrorist country. And they had informants that basically said, hey, this organization, this terrorist group or, uh, is uh, recruiting child soldiers out of this village. About 200 plus villagers. Um, they also suspected there was a lot of uh, rifles and grenades, and a lot of IEDs and stuff that were in this in this village. That the 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 group was expecting the village to hold for them. Okay, it was a communist group. 
So we're planning an operation because we know it's a, it's a child soldier. There's, this is a hub for child, child soldier recruitment to go into the camps that we've identified already. So our guy sends me an operations order, and we always have what's called cover for action, cover for status. Is why are we there, and then what do you, what do you, what's your cover for being there? You know, what, why are you there, and, and explanation of what you're going to do and all that. So we decided that instead of going as Freedom Shield Foundation, um, he was going to go as an evangelist. Okay, and of course this guy's anointed as it is, right? Mm -hmm. So he brought four undercover military guys with him, wow. and we have all the photo. We took food to the villages. Yeah. We, it, I mean, when I talk about an expensive operation, I'm talking like five hundred dollars. Right. <laughs> it was yeah. not expensive at all yeah. in Philippines. But we have photos of all the motorbikes they set up to go up in the, the rivers and the ravines, just everywhere they were trying to get up mm -hmm. to. It was it was, it was wow. a lot of work to mm -hmm. get there. So our guy, uh, we will call him Didi. Uh, mm -hmm. So Didi gets up there and he does what he does best. And when we're done, he did. They did the whole operation. He said. He said, "Roy goes. Not only did we um, did we find all the, the explosives and all the weapons and all that, but he goes of the two hundred villagers. He goes one hundred and six. One hundred sixty seven came. Um, it was one hundred twenty one people that came to the to the meeting. I think it was over a, a hundred and it was one hundred sixty seven people that came to the meeting. At least one hundred twenty one of them were saved." Wow. And 67 of those were children. Wow. So in his undercover <laughs> role as an evangelist, he led three quarters of the village to Christ. Yeah. And then on top of that, the bonus was that, the bonus was that they found Christ. But, and the operation and, was successful. And the operation was successful. Yeah. So wow. make, you know, make, you know, no excuses. The Lord has, mm -hmm. has gone before us in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And if you knew him, you would, you would see that, that, you know, that the way he lives his life is why he's anointed to do it. One of the things you just said, Michael, was really, really good is that having come from the worship background, being involved in worship ministry mm -hmm. before, the the way any worship team in a church prepares, if if they're if they know what true worship is, they're fasting, they're praying, you know. And it's not so much every it's not so much fasting praying that the Lord's presence be there, because he's he's promised to be there even if the worship team's not there. Mm -hmm. But it's that because the worship team is responsible for that handshake between yeah. They're the, the middle ground, right? They're saying right. God meet church, church meet God, right? The handshake that occurs. A mature worship team understands that, and they know the exact role. But there is, as a team, there's a preparation that goes into that service for the worship team. If they're just meeting and the service mm -hmm. is dead, well, then you can tell what the, how prepared the team was. <laughs> right. There's a lot to be said there. Mm -hmm. um, when... You know, I mean, God's going to do whatever he wants to do, but there is something of an effort. Just if he's telling you fast to pray, it's, he's going to honor you because you did it. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the life that you decided to, to live. So that same concept, we wanted to apply to our own organization. Yeah. Is it, you know, we don't, you know, you've heard that statement that you're only strong as your weakest link. That's, that's true. <laughs> spiritually, when you apply that spiritually, there's a growth that has to happen with every member of that team for it to be blessed, for it to be anointed. Yeah. And that's what we were talking about earlier yeah. is that you feel people, you know, when you've come to the, the studies, you, you truly feel people, we're not perfect people, but we do have a heart after God. Yeah. And I believe it's in those moments when we move as a team that God recognizes the effort of the entire team, not just care myself or whatever mm -hmm. one person is doing, 
But I think that's that's why he blesses it the way he does. Mm -hmm. And that's why someone like Ndidi can travel to a village by himself and be the only believer and have four military guys that are not believers and the Holy Spirit shows up because of the way he prepared for it. And that's been the core of everything we do. I mean, we, we want the tough... We've talked about the trauma. There's a lot of girls that are coming out there with multiple personalities. Who knows some satanic ritual abuse is taken apart. You need to have people that are spirit filled or people that they can that aren't just going to do the basic clinical stuff. Mm -hmm. And of course, we don't require them to accept Jesus. That's just something that happens in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. So I just mm -hmm. thought I'd throw that in there because of something you mentioned. Yeah. That there has to be a team. The team has to grow has to be in one accord mm -hmm. and you can have unbelievers in the team and we do I mean mm -hmm. it's a whole with all the volunteer stuff I'm sure we've got it's not a prerequisite to come to our team to be a Christian mm -hmm. right. but you spend enough time with us you're, you're hosed yeah. you're going to become one <laughs> that's just the way it is because God is real yeah. and because we're going to love that person yeah. and that's what we hear when we go abroad is that your God must be something powerful because of the way you love us. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest compliment we can hear because that's exactly what the word calls us to do is just mm -hmm. to love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's in word and deed. Yes. Absolutely. It's the way you act well, and it's yeah. the things that you say. Yeah. And, and Karen can share, share her story, but you know what your prayer was and what their prayer was. And they said, we knew that God loved us. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. showed up. Yeah. That was a powerful moment when, um, I got to serve some women in Iraq who had been recovered from ISIS. And again, just the stories are, you just don't tell people what you know humans are capable of doing to other human beings. And especially these precious women and children. And, and it was um, this one particular trip, it was my last day. I'd been working with a group of women for, it was pretty intensive mm -hmm. time with them. And it was the last day, and I just felt like, you know, we haven't talked about God. They, they have a different faith, and so I never try to push my faith on them. I just want to be an expression of the love of God to them. And, but I felt like that last day I was supposed to just talk to them about what they had been through. And I know that they, have, they believe in a God, and so I just said to them, I know that it must be really hard to wonder where was God in the midst of this suffering? Why did he let this happen to me? Why didn't he protect me from this? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I know that those are questions that I have mm -hmm. when I go through difficult things. And I can imagine y'all are wondering, you know, where is he? And one of the women who had been quiet, she was pretty, you know, <laughs> solemn the whole week. She spoke up immediately and she said, that's exactly how I felt. And that's exactly what I thought until you showed up. Mm. And I knew mm. that if God sent you all the way from the United States just for us, that he did see mm. and he did care mm. and what I went through mattered to him. And mm. literally in that moment, I'm going... I've been here doing what all I know to do, but literally all I had to do was show up. I just had to get on a plane and fly over here to Iraq, and God had already spoken mm -hmm. to them mm -hmm. in a place mm -hmm. that they needed to know that He saw. And so I think that's so powerful that sometimes you may feel like, what do I have to offer? I don't know what to do. And it can be overwhelming when you think 
they've been through so much trauma and I don't want to do anything that might hurt them or make it worse. And I just want to encourage you, if you feel like, if you're a person that's listening to this going, I have felt really called to this or it's been a burden on my heart, but I just don't know what I could do. Sometimes it's as simple as praying and showing up and letting the presence of God just be in their presence Mm -hmm. and let them, let him do what he wants Mm -hmm. to do. And, um, and you have no idea what he may be speaking to their Mm -hmm. hearts just Mm -hmm. because you're there. Mm -hmm. Just because you walked through the door. Yeah. Mm. You're looking at me. I'm like, Oh, she's talking to me. (laughs) She's talking to me. And we've had that conversation going on for a couple of years because that's exactly, that's exactly how a lot of us feel. I know I feel that way. And what a shame if you choose to believe I can't when you have a stirring and when you know this isn't about me, Mm -hmm. it's about obedience. It's about showing up, walking through the door and letting God do the rest. I have a, when you said walking through the door, can I share a quick um, story? So in 2004, I, this was a long time ago and I was literally, I was a stay at home homeschooling mom. Like you cannot Mm -hmm. get more in a bubble than that. And, um, and three women showed up at my door, rang my doorbell. I go to answer the door, and they literally said to me, we were told if we came here, you would be nice to us. And I'm like, oh, that is so odd. Like, why are you here? Who sent you to my house? It was just bizarre. And I started asking questions. They weren't trying to sell anything, so I'm just trying to figure out, like, who sent you here? Why are you at my house? And long story short, they had gone to a church to try to get some financial help. Mm -hmm. And the church's response was, well, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to have a relationship with God? You know, and and I think they were trying to determine, is that attached to you helping us financially? Is the answer supposed to be yes? You know, um, they were wrestling with that. And in the midst of it, they told this woman at the church, we do want to know about God, but we can't come to your church. And she said, well, why not? And they said, we're strippers at this club in Fort Worth. And if we come to your church, then we're going to see our customers. And they're going to be sitting there with their families. And we are, they're going to know we don't belong. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I, I, everything was kind of colliding inside of me of the realities that that was their experience. And... You know, and I'm wrestling with, wait a minute, the men at the church are the ones that are your client. I mean, it was just all of these things were kind of coming together. I ended up, that's where all of this started with me of wanting to help women because they literally came to my front door. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to start mm-hmm. a ministry. I was, I was homeschooling my kids, you know, and they came to me. And so I just want to, again, encourage people. It was so simple. They said, we were told if we came here, you would be nice to us. It's not really as hard as we make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, kindness, respect, honor, value, love. Those are things that we can offer people. Yeah. And you don't have to have a degree to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't. You yeah. just have to have Christ in you. Mm-hmm. And I think we try to make it really hard and we think of a million reasons why I'm probably not qualified. And the reality is you're the most qualified. Anybody can hand out services. Any government entity can provide basic essential needs. But what they needed was someone 
who would see them Mm -hmm. and who would spend time with them and listen to them and come alongside them. And it's not hard. It's, we do it every day. Mm -hmm. We're relational beings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's all that, that they need is to have people. And of course we want to get them connected to services. We do provide a lot of things that they have to have, but I'm just saying, if you're thinking, I feel called to work with these individuals it's really that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that is, it just goes to show when you are the hands and feet of Christ and people see it. It is, I think, with what um, their victims have been through, they know what's real and what's not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, it's it's telling by no means am I perfect. I've sinned, I've done things where it's just like, man, (laughs) I'm an idiot. But it's telling of those ladies saying, we're going to see our clients there. And And they will know that we don't belong there. And so, and that's convicting to, that should be convicting to all of us to say, okay, so what aura am I giving off as a Christian? That someone that is, um, has fallen prey to this, has, has, has been a part of these, these horrific things, what am I doing as a Christian that makes them feel unsafe? or unseen, or they're just going to judge me. And I think where it is as Christians, it's like, no, 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 no. you meet them where they're at. Um, you know, like when Jesus, uh, when, the, when the men were going to stone the prostitute, and he literally just got down on a knee and drew, and drew the line, and he met her where she was at. He didn't stand, I felt like, in the story, he's not standing above her, he's not doing any of this, it's, it's safe here. It's safe here, and this is who I am, and I think that's just telling for those girls to come (coughs) and say, hey, we're going to, we we can't go to this church because we're going to see our our clients, and, it's convicting, but then it's also, it spurs me on. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, no, 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 no. That's, well, that's, that's not who Jesus is. That's yes. not who Christ is. He's the one that meets you yeah. where you're and at. Protect the, he and protected protects, her. Yes. He stood yeah. there and didn't mm-hmm. let anybody yeah. touch mm-hmm. her, you know? Because yeah. they say to you, we don't want to go to church because we don't want to embarrass the client. Mm-hmm. They're saying we don't want to go there because they're going to know we don't belong, which is, mm-hmm. which goes back yeah. to who would have thought that going to, you know, a strip club, it makes you a stumbling block for the very stripper who could come to know Jesus. Now she can because she doesn't want to embarrass you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's what's so yeah. telling about what mm-hmm. they said. And those women were so hungry for the Lord. They came to my house every week mm-hmm. with their legal pads of questions about God that they wanted mm-hmm. to know. And, I mean, I've never been with people so hungry to know the Lord as these three women. And 
two of them went on and, and got jobs and were able to leave the industry. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to get out of that industry um, just because your resume now says things like Rick's Cabaret mm-hmm. and it's, it's hard to move on. Um, and one of the ladies couldn't, she just couldn't. She had a disabled daughter and she couldn't put her in daycare. So she had a live-in boyfriend that would stay few nights a week while she would go to the club and make the money that she needed to be able to take care of her daughter. You know, it's not the story that we think. She's mm-hmm. not putting herself through college. She's not having a really good time. Mm-hmm. Those are, I cannot tell you, that is the lie that we made up to make it all feel better and be okay. And that was, this was her real story. She had a daughter who was disabled. I met her daughter and she was doing what she could do to be a good mom and provide for her child. And she would show up at my house before her shift crying and telling me, I don't want to do this. I, I cannot stand it. I don't want to sit on anybody's lap. I don't want anybody to touch me. I don't want to take my clothes off. Mm-hmm. Crying would throw up in my bathroom, okay, because it made her physically sick to have to go do that one more time. That's the reality. And I'm telling you, once they had somebody come alongside them, that could just help them take the next step and the next step. And we were providing and Mm -hmm. surrounding and giving Mm -hmm. them what they needed. They left. They didn't want to stay in that, in that position. And that's the truth is that if we can, if we can come alongside them without our judgment and our assumptions, we just put ourselves in their shoes and go, we don't know what we would do Mm -hmm. in some of these situations. And I'm here to help you if what you want is to get out of that. I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to keep laying that road down in front of you so that you can take the very next step and the very next step. Mm-hmm. And, it I mean, I will never forget that woman. She left a mark on my heart, and she's the real deal. Mm-hmm. She's the real story, and she's worth us Again, fighting for her mm-hmm. and giving her a different option so that she doesn't have to go do that one more time. Mm-hmm. When I think about, if I were to pull up your website for the Freedom Shield Foundation, and when I think about the industry and the work that's being done, what comes to the front of my mind is strength. Right, you think like, okay, this is a team of these strong, physically strong, armored men, and then you meet Carrie, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my goodness, like these people. It, it, it's just, I mean, I have said about Carrie since the very first day that I sat across from her. I've said this before, and it's gonna be very familiar. If Jesus were here, if he were, if his feet were on this ground right now, he'd be doing the work that Carrie is doing. As she was just talking and I had met her for 20 minutes, I thought, I have never in my life witnessed this, this strength. And that strength isn't the idea of, I'm tough, I'm strong, I have this sword, I have this shield. It's peace. It's having Christ in and through you and the Holy Spirit being so present at every turn that it's not about this flesh strength. And when you look at the evil, when you look at the evil that we're talking about, when you think about human trafficking, your mind automatically goes to, oh, we gotta be strong, we gotta be tough, we gotta be brave, we gotta be, and we do. 
but it's because of Christ and it's because of our peace and it's because of the Holy Spirit and that's his strength. It's not ours. It's not our flesh. It's not, it's not strength of this world. It's the peace of knowing God and knowing what he's called us to do and how he's leading us. And as we talk to you all, the more that I get to know both of you, it is so overwhelming to me to see the Holy Spirit guide and the discernment and being able to recognize we're getting on a plane and going there because we're supposed to go there. And what a gift. And this is going on a whole different rabbit trail, but what a gift to have a God that allows us accessibility, that allows us access to him in that way where his Holy Spirit can prompt us. Mm -hmm. I want you here. I want you to walk into that room and you don't need to know why. I just need you to be there, mm-hmm. and I'm going to show mm-hmm. up. And it just it makes my body almost tremble thinking how good he is that, that we get to live a life with that much purpose. And I see that in you all. And in a season, we were talking about this before we hit record, in a season where I feel so dry, mm-hmm. where I feel mm-hmm. so dry. I'm like, Lord, where is that flame? Where is that passion? Where is that I feel dry to be able to sit with you all and see the Holy Spirit move through your personal lives, through the work that you're doing, it is such a drink of fresh water for me. And it spurs me on. And I, I know Michael, you all know my husband, Michael, has started he's becoming interested in being a part of the work that you all are doing and going to your Bible studies and seeing the Holy Spirit moved through him and he calls me after and I didn't even know that the first time he had been and I noticed something different in his voice and it's, ama- it's, it's amazing how God can do that how he can gather people and when everybody has that willingness to be in his presence and to be filled and they know they're called and they we may not know where at every turn but we know that we're supposed to be there mm-hmm. how you can feel that you can feel it in one another so I, I just had to share that because it's such a blessing and such a gift to us. But for our community that is listening and they're learning, and maybe there's someone like where I was before I knew anything about this, and they're thinking, I've heard on the news, I've heard on social media, I've heard through my friends. How can we here equip them in knowing how to be aware of their surroundings, both from perspectives of, okay, I'm 29 years old, how can I be aware to protect myself? What are some things that I need to keep my eyes open for? And then also on the other hand, how can I be alert so that I can raise concern and say, I'm just out doing my thing and that doesn't feel right. Like, what are some things that we can equip them with today? Okay, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, I, I love that question because that's really what it comes down to when you, you look at it and go, okay, this is apparently an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know. And then you think the next process is, oh, it's somewhere else. This mm-hmm. is happening in Cambodia. It's not happening here in the United States. And except for that, in 2018, when the Trafficking in Persons report was released, the United States is now one of the top three nations in the world for trafficking. So you have the United States, Mexico, and the Philippines. Okay, so it's, it is right here. We're number one for trafficking in the world. Then, okay, so that's the global perspective. Then you look at just the United States. Where we live, right here in the state of Texas, we're number two in the nation for trafficking 
and DFW is number two in the state of Texas for most reported sex trafficking incidences. So on a global scale, we're number one in the world. Nation is number one. State is number two. City is number two. That's where we sit right here in the Bible Belt, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's why it's hard for us to take it in and believe that it's even happening right here. And actually, there are 79,000 minors that have been sex trafficked in the state of Texas just this past year. Mm. So it's right here, and it's real. Mm -hmm. And so then when you hear that information, we go, oh my gosh, well, what about me and my kids, and how can we be safe, and have I even seen this? Is it happening in the house across the street, right? And that's it's all very real. When it when our eyes kind of get opened, then we have to start processing it personally, and then we look at our community. So when you look at it on a personal level, either for yourself or for your children, I just want to encourage you that, first of all, um, if you're a young person, you're targeted, mm-hmm. okay? You're vulnerable, and you're seen that way. The average age of a trafficked individual in the United States is 12 to 14, okay? 12 to 14. So we know that's a vulnerable mm-hmm. population, and yet how can we equip them and surround them and, and help them to know that without trying to create fear, we don't want to live in fear, but, but create wisdom mm-hmm. and discernment, mm-hmm. you know? So first of all, I think the most important thing to realize is that a lot of this is now moved online, and so I just encourage you, there you don't owe some stranger anything online. You do not have to friend. You don't have to follow. You don't do any of that if you don't actually know the person. And people who are grooming, predators are doing what they do. One in five kids are approached online by sexual predators. One in five. And that was a 2017 statistic. So it's probably even worse, especially Mm -hmm. through COVID Mm -hmm. when everything moved online. So it's a high probability that your kids or you could be being approached by someone through games, through social media platforms. These are the main sources now of the grooming process. Mm -hmm. It's not in person, it's happening online. So even if someone has friended several of your friends, or that doesn't mean you know them. Mm -hmm. They, it doesn't mean that your friends know them. Mm -hmm. So even that association, one removed, does not create safety. So I just encourage you, if you don't actually know someone, you could be at risk by connecting with them online. And the information that they can get by you, from you mm-hmm. by what you're posting also can make you vulnerable. So be aware of who you're connecting with, what you're posting, what information people can access about you online. Are you giving information that you, if someone had that, they could harm you or your family or blackmail you or find vulnerabilities? Think about those things for yourself or for your children. And then um, also we are seeing a lot more of the grooming process happening peer-to-peer. So it's a lot easier for a trafficker or a pimp to send in a 17-year-old girl to recruit another 17-year-old girl or a 15-year-old girl. So they're befriending you. Mm-hmm. And then after they've built that bond and that trust, then they are bringing you into that, that life because they're forced to recruit, okay? So it's not, and I want to, that's a hard place because mm-hmm. the victim is now victimizing. And mm-hmm. so you have layers of trauma in that. But just know, as parents, 
it is really critical right now that we don't just assume mm-hmm. that everything is the way it was when we were growing up. It's just not. It's a different world, and we can't treat it the way that we always did. The second part of what you were bringing about is, is what if I'm out and I see something? How do I know that that could potentially be someone who's being trafficked? Mm-hmm. Um, and we see a lot of stuff. Sometimes it gets a little crazy on social media, and I know I get sent things from people that are like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening in parking lots, you know, and Target and, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and you get, it can get a little silly, honestly. And so I just want to be very practical because if you see something that raises a red flag in your mind, first of all, pay attention to it. Like, I believe that when people are like, you know, there's just something like my gut, you know, mm-hmm. instinct, mm-hmm. I believe that gut instinct is i.e. Holy Spirit. And so I pay attention to those things. If something raises a red flag for me, then I start gathering information immediately. I'm getting a description of of the male, a description of the female. If they have a car, I'm trying to get a license plate, a description of the car. I mean, I'm doing, you know, I'm not going to put myself at risk, but if I can get a photo, I'm going to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, you know, but I'm going to do that discreetly. Mm -hmm. Um, but if there's something that you're going, okay, I don't know, but this doesn't look good. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be something like there's a a major, you know, age gap, maybe different nationalities are together. Um, a young girl, older man, um, she's maybe not dressed appropriately if it's cold weather, but she's not dressed for cold weather. She doesn't have that clothing, but he does. You know, those are things I'm paying attention to. Um, If you happen to see someone who they won't make eye contact, they're looking down, it seems like a power over controlling dynamic. Um, If they, if you happen to have a conversation, if that's, I wouldn't try to (laughs) create these scenarios, but if you are maybe a, um, you know, a teller or someone who is gathering some information, if they don't have personal ID, if they don't have, don't know a home address, they can't tell you those things, then they could potentially be at risk for being trafficked. Those are some red flags that that I would be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And then I just encourage you that go ahead and report. It's not going to hurt anything for you to call 911 mm-hmm. or your local police department and say, hey, this is what I saw. This is the information I can give you. These are the descriptors and the dynamic. And then go ahead and report it to the National Human Trafficking Hotline number as well because that goes into a national database, whereas the local law enforcement isn't going to put that necessarily into a national database. Mm-hmm. That way it, it can be responded to immediately through 911, but it also can go into that national database so that if this has been reported by several people in several cities or states, then mm-hmm. you begin to build a case yeah. um, by doing that as well. So those are just a few things. I'm mm-hmm. probably missing some, but those please feel free if you have something else to add to that row. Um, well, I mean, before before the internet uh, and cell phones, um, you know, somebody wanted to stalk you, you'd have to do it. It's called stalking. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now we now with phones and internet and everything and apps, you're doing the, the work for the stalker already. Uh, you get in the car and they still find a way to locate you or whatever. But I, I would say um, one of the things that people need to understand on in trafficking is that when you look at trafficking abroad outside the U.S., you're, you're talking about abject poverty. There's a situation in the family where dad has to sell oldest girl for food for the rest of the family, and traffickers abroad know that. Domestically, we see that trafficking is based more on family breakdown. 
-hmm. So it, it's 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 not. Now we are seeing more poverty, obviously, in, in the U.S. and vulnerability, especially right now through COVID and all that. But um, I go I go back to so understanding that it's family breakdown. Now think about the single mom that that that's working may have one or two children. How engaged? because she's working it's no fault of her own but how much more time is left in her day to engage with the teenagers who, are, who may or may not have cell phones let's say they do have cell phones and they're engaging outside it, it it goes back to mom and dad or even mom or dad just engaging with their kids for the sheer conversation where you can broach a conversation but by not saying give me all your passwords you know but the, talking about saying hey Let's talk, let's talk about who you're talking to, what apps are you on, you know, and, and just that engagement and that alone may open up a conversation lane where the daughter may want to say like, man, I was waiting for you to, to ask me just so I can talk about this that's going on that I'm not sure about. Um, so it's that, even in that busyness is because it is family breakdown that I think, you know, single parents, you know, if they're, if they're able to, to make that time to say, hey, let's have, let's just sit down mm -hmm. even once a week or mm -hmm. once every couple of days and say, let's, let's see where you're at. And it goes back to that. You know, we parents will tell their kids, well, I don't have to be your friend. I'm your mother or I'm your dad, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's not even what we're saying here. It's just there's a way to approach them to, to, if they are being targeted, if they are unsure, mm -hmm. um, that we as parents open that up. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you know, the stat yearly is anywhere from 600 to 800,000 runaways in, in a you know, country of 330 million. Even if the stat were 400,000, that's still a lot of people. You know, when you look at, you know, 98% of those were, were probably going to return home at some point, okay? Um, what happens to the other 2%? They're either abducted, they're, they're put into the trafficking trade, or um, they're sent abroad, or, or they're dead. I mean, that leaves at 2%. We, we don't really know. But every case where you look at trafficking, Florida, California, Texas, you know, New York, that number will change in the top five for missing kids, active, openly, open cases. So then that, that compounds yearly. So if you have 400 kids missing in California, now you have 800 the second year, where are these kids? Mm -hmm. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stats that are out there and we can't, obviously we can't control that, but we can't control what, what happens in our households and mm -hmm. how we converse with our kids. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to good old fashioned, you know, our generation put kids in front of Barney videos to watch them grow, you know, then, right. then cell phones came up and now that is that is the entertainment, yeah. you know? And again, that, that's not a criticism on parenting, right. it's just to, to say, hey, if this is gonna happen, then how do you change to adapt to mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Carrie said the best um, discernment, and you were talking about it, Brittany, is just discernment's a big deal. I, I think women have some, probably the best intuition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there is a woman's intuition. It's a real deal. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would say that gut feeling. Yeah. And so is, is act on it. And if you're wrong, then you can say you're sorry. But mm -hmm. when it comes to your kids, mm -hmm. yeah. there, there's no, there's, you know, you need to do that. Because yeah, you, you may be opening a, an avenue of communication that your child did want to open up first, and just because you asked, yeah. and you generally found time to ask, that may be, mm -hmm. that may be what the Holy Spirit wants mm -hmm. for that moment to, to open up yeah. in conversation. So. Yeah, and it creates safety. When, Absolutely. as a parent, you yeah. create that space and that concern. Yeah. 
kids need that and want that. They want to know you're concerned and you, you want to talk to them. And especially for you know, parents that might be listening that actually have a teenage daughter. You know, we see, we call them, they're called lover boy pimps or Romeo pimps, where even boyfriends or friend, boys or friending girls and boyfriend-girlfriend relationship in high school, and all they're doing is grooming them to hand them over oh. to the traffickers. So even... So dads, anybody that's out there, it's okay to, to, mm-hmm. to, to put a shotgun out and clean it in front of the boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right <laughs> Scare him a little bit. Threaten him, definitely threaten him. Oh Waterboarding is something. <laughs> you know, just use purified water to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, anyway. A little baptism mixed in. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Waterboarding. But, but I think in those moments, because what yeah. we're seeing with trafficking, that even now boyfriends... Mm-hmm. Um, Oh my God! I mean, yeah. and the most so the more you're removed, if mom isn't there teaching daughter how to love herself and helping mm-hmm. the self-esteem aspect, mm-hmm. and dad isn't teaching the boys how to honor a woman, integrity, mm-hmm. honesty, all those things, then we're just then who's there's teaching? a gap. Yeah, there's a big gap, and that's why yeah. we have trafficking. Yeah, you know, uh, to me, traffickers are nothing but bullies that have grown up, mm-hmm. and nobody's punched them in the face young enough so that they can't become traffickers mm-hmm. like you know that's all they are so we see yeah. that's what organized crime is that's what terrorism is it's just guys who, who don't want limits and they're bullies and now they can affect it and, mm-hmm. and all they need is somebody to stand up against them and, mm-hmm. and god is enough mm-hmm. you don't have to be a, a soldier like mm-hmm. you're saying with mm-hmm. the armor plating mm-hmm. you just need to be able to walk mm-hmm. knowing the lord and there's enough yeah. authority there yeah Okay, I want to ask you two, the men, <laughs> about being a protector. And as I was praying about our conversation today in this space, that was at the front of my mind that men were created in God's image as protectors. And I would love to give you two the microphone to tell us what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be a protector in God's image? And anything that you want to share on that? I think it's finding what, it's a lot of prayer, but finding what, what you're passionate about, what you see out in the world of, okay, what can I do to um, not only help, but help from a Christ-filled way. But it just goes back to how I see it is when Jesus knelt and drew the line in the sand, um, you know, and the parable about going after the one sheep. Um, that it's not a towering, it's not this, you're, you don't have this booming voice, it's not you personally, it is um, Christ moving through you. And how... When Jesus gets down on one knee, when Christ meets you where you're at, I feel that that is the way of, of being a protector, is meeting the need of where it's at and not saying, hey, yes, there, is a, there are times when we need to fix something, but just meeting that person where they're at and just building that trust with them because you do have the Holy Spirit running through you and working through you and like you said earlier is like hey these kids and girls will know if you're real or not um but it's the getting down on one knee and that instant bond i think can be mm-hmm. i know i'm just rambling up, i'm sorry no, <laughs> but good. no but just of yeah just i i i just feel like that's 
when you're, what does it mean to you, for you to be a protector of God's image? It's just meeting that person where they're at. It's leading with and that just, love. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah. And just be, and just, I just, I just think about just going after the one sheep. And that's just what I, that's what goes through my mind time and time again. Mm-hmm. And then just the Lord drawing the line in the sand. Mm-hmm. And it just and it, it it just keeps going through my head just over and over again, and it's that it's that gentle spirit, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of walking um, like Moses did. You know, you got this large staff, and it's just you see how Moses was blessed, and he was, and it's just kind of sweeping things out of the way. Um, but you're able, but you have this peace and this presence about mm-hmm. you, but it only comes through, well, you mm-hmm. know, through Christ. Mm-hmm. And, but those are the two things that where I think is that, hey, that's what it means to be a protector is just meeting them where they're at, mm-hmm. meeting whatever the situation is, whether it's, you know, you need to protect your spouse or your kids or it's just meeting them out. Out of love and row, like you said, it's hey, sit down with your kids. Mm-hmm. I know you love your kids, you know, and sit down with them. Yeah, you, there's no need to yell. Just hey, who are you texting? What apps are you on? Mm-hmm. And that goes a long, long way. And that, and so that's what I feel like. And then just in Matthew 25, it's one of my favorite parables it's verses like 34 through 37 I think but it's just Jesus talking about hey when I was naked you clothed me when I was thirsty you gave me a drink of cold water when I was in prison you came and saw me in prison and I think about that and I, and I, and I just think that is also you know when it's easy to pray for hey Lord give me your hands and feet and your eyes to see but if you truly pray that and mean that you're going to give that cup of cold water you're going to feel led to um, rescue those who can't rescue themselves you know give food to those who are homeless and to me that is protecting as well of just hey you better have your eyes open Mm -hmm. and so that's good that's my two cents (laughs) that's good yeah, I, I agree with those different, obviously different forms of protecting mm-hmm. and obviously asking your kids what, you know, what they're doing isn't to be nosy, it's you want to protect them from any potential harm. Um, I, I have a lot of mixed feelings with, with that, just from different variations. I mean, there's obviously the physical part mm-hmm. and your protection. The fact that you need a protector implies that there's something out there to protect from, mm-hmm. right? So it's understanding what that is. On the, in the physical realm, when you look at what the Lord told us to do, is to to look to take out you know take care of the widow, the orphan, and mm-hmm. distress. You know, Psalm ten eighteen says, "So the mere earthly mortal will never again strike terror." You know, it's always that mm-hmm. you're doing this because of this. Mm-hmm. And I I I think as Christians, and this applies both to men and women, is I have uh, I like that that that, that quote, which basically and I've used it many times, and, and I've felt this way many times, where as Christians, because we're supposed to be meek and humble and all those things, that, that it's almost like you have to make a statement, don't confuse my kindness for weakness. Mm-hmm. 
and and I and I, I think there's got to be a, that there's a boldness that that we each have to carry in us to say, you know, harm this person, I will strike you like a mama bear. Right? <laughs> I know that's something you said. Uh, you know, I, and I think about just you know on the flip side, look at when uh, when the centurions were coming to to pick up Jesus, and who was it that pulled the sword from the Peter? Peter. 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 And you know, Peter <laughs> grabs the sword, oh, protect you, Jesus, and slash knocks his right. ear off. Like, I have to think Jesus going, like, first of all, dude, I could have defended myself. Number one, I am Jesus. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the help. I didn't need it. And he says, and let me fix this problem. And he heals the centurion. I mean, just how cool is that? Right? And I think that when that's something that we all carry, is that it doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, I remember being raised myself where, you know, all my mom ever says, when this happens, you say in the, with the blood of Jesus over this deal, you know, and, and I've heard, I've seen news stories where robbers have broken into convenience stores and there's been little old Christian ladies who have said, blood of Jesus, I rebuke you. And the guy drops his gun and runs away. I mean, those are true stories that have occurred, but so there's a, you know, there comes the whole physical part. Um, you know, when you look at, uh, Carrie has said this in, in, in places she's spoken where, I don't know what the stats are, but when you look at the majority of the military being male, there's a reason the males are drawn to that. Mm-hmm. Look at the majority of the police forces in the United States. It, there's male. Those are just something that's inherent as a man. Um, you know, you know, being raised Hispanic, you know, it was for me, it was like, you will defend the little woman, mm-hmm. you know, your wife, you mm-hmm. will... You know, there's just things that you defend her honor. Honor is yeah. another big deal. Yeah. One of the things that we, we tend to practice a lot with just people in general is um, we're also protecting the, to make sure that the right people that come into a room are honored by our, by our own mm-hmm. people. And there's there's something that goes into that. I mean, Kara tell you how we are with women that are, that are brought in for the first time and how... You know, I don't have to tell the guys, you will do this. By nature, it's already inherent mm-hmm. in them because that's what Christ has put in them. Mm-hmm. And there's a love, there's an honor, there's a respect. There's a, so mm-hmm. all of that, you know, there's a lot of, the word protect carries a lot of connotations, yeah. Yeah. Uh, both from the symbols asking our children, hey, let's talk, let them know what's going on in your life because I want to protect you from any harm without telling them that mm-hmm. to the physical piece that we are called, yeah. you know, to, to, to be that. Now, for me, I draw all of my idea of protecting and defending comes from Scripture. Mm-hmm. It's that this is what God has asked us to do, therefore mm-hmm. we will do it. Mm-hmm. I've studied, I've been studying all the biblical battles. Mm-hmm. There's over 101 skirmishes throughout the, the Bible. And every one of those, you know, God, the Israelites were, I think, in the major battles for like 44 and 4. You know, they won 44 and they lost 4. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ones they lost are because they went out on their own. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the worship team. They didn't have the. They didn't follow God's orders. But when they routed the enemy, they routed the enemy. Yeah. I mean, they God was clearly with them. Mm-hmm. And I believe when He tells us to 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 do those to the least, to the widows, the orphans, mm-hmm. the poor, the vulnerable, that that applies for all of us. We're all protectors. Yeah. We're all defenders. And mm-hmm. protection is is is. It's just that it's to keep from something that might happen. Defending is actually when the action occurs. Yeah. And then we can choose as believers to always be on the defense or take the offensive. Right. And we are an offensive organization. Mm-hmm. We have to be. That's the only way we can take territory that the enemy has taken away from us, both spiritually and physically. We've gone to countries and we, we have plagued, you know, planted our, our staff in the ground and gone to worship 
the Lord the mm -hmm. first thing we got to that foreign country and we said this is your country and we we're speaking of the principalities mm -hmm. and we're calling out the names of Jesus mm -hmm. the Hebrew names of the Lord and the, all the mm -hmm. I am's of God over that nation because that's where our authority comes from yeah. so that's how mm -hmm. I view it so anyway that's, that's my, my point of view yeah. that's what I was going to say too he just did much more <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I meant too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would love to share just for a second yeah. the female perspective on yes. this because I um I was sharing with you, Brittany, earlier, like I had a really hard time seeing God as a protector mm -hmm. just because of my own story and the things that happened in my life. I didn't feel like he protected me. And so I didn't associate God with being a very good protector. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that when you look at these women and what they have experienced, they have no connection to God being a protector or to men being protectors. And so imagine when a woman who I, I remember the first time I went out with um, the Freedom Shield guys team to pick up this sweet woman who had been, um, her pimp had gotten her back and was prostituting her again, had gotten her back on drugs. And she reached out to me and was like, can you please come get me? I know he's going to kill me. Like, I just need somebody to come get me. And I of course, you know, call Roe and the team and, and I'm like, we've gotta we've gotta help her. She's in trouble. And when we showed up at that motel and we get her out of that room and she gets in the truck with these men that she doesn't know. She's never met these men. Can you imagine, first mm -hmm. of all, how scary that is for her to again, like I am I am risking again not knowing who these people are. I'm just hoping that Carrie's not setting me up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so she gets in the truck, and all she has is a trash bag of her clothes and all of her belongings. That's all that she has is a trash bag of stuff. And, of course, you know, she hasn't been able to bathe in days, and her clothes are smell like all kinds of drugs and stuff. And, and she gets in that truck and shuts that door, and Ro looks at her and says, you must be hungry. Can we just take you first and get you something to eat before we take you to the drug rehab? And it's that again, like it's, we're going to protect you. Like she didn't know there's another vehicle following with another, you know, so some guys and guys. we got yeah. some, a lot of weapons are here readily mm -hmm. accessible. She doesn't see any of that, mm -hmm. but what she experiences, these men safely transported her out of hell straight to where they said they were going to take her, mm -hmm. offered to get her food on the way mm -hmm. to take care of her needs. And I will tell you, that was my first experience with them. And I knew after that first trip, I trust these men with the women that I serve. Mm -hmm. They are going to be honored. They're going to be cared for. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be protected and safe. And this may be the first time in their lives that men were safe. Mm -hmm. And men did what they said they were going to do. And men protected them. And I, over and over, the women that have been, um, have encountered the Freedom Shield men, mm -hmm. you know, that were in their worst moment. I mean, can you imagine, again, you're at your worst moment and this group of people show up and you trust them and you get in a car and you hope that they're taking you where they said they were going to take you. And what they experience is being protected mm -hmm. 
And they have said over and over to me, Carrie, I had never, I've never experienced mm. that in my life until that day. And even in Iraq, you know, again, these women are being rescued straight out of ISIS control. And then they get brought, you know, to this Mm -hmm. safe place Mm -hmm. and they're put into a vehicle with men that they don't know, driven to wherever their family is in a refugee camp. And then these same men who Mm -hmm. came and got them safely out of that situation are the ones that keep showing up every week at the refugee camp so that they can have counseling. They come mm-hmm. and transport me back, and they sit quietly and protect us mm-hmm. while they get to receive the care that they mm-hmm. need. And they, it rewrites the script. When we see men for who God created them to be, because mm-hmm. God made them, like you said, in His image to be protectors and defenders. They're the warriors. Mm-hmm. And when we begin to experience men that way, it starts changing how we view men, mm-hmm. And how we view God. Mm -hmm. It goes all the way back to Him. Because before they didn't have an experience of protector through a man. And they sure didn't know that God would do that. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to see Mm -hmm. all of that change with these tiny little moments and encounters. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love to speak to men and let them know, you have been told for Mm -hmm. a long time now that you're the problem. Mm -hmm. And the reality is you're actually the solution. Mm -hmm. You are the solution to this Mm -hmm. because when men stand up and they rise up in protector and defender, Mm -hmm. they no longer, if you're being a protector, you cannot exploit. Mm -hmm. If you're being a defender, you Mm -hmm. cannot abuse. Mm -hmm. That's why you have to pick a camp, (laughs) you know? And, and when you see men rise up and go, I don't, I don't want to be in that category. I want to be a defender and protector. Mm -hmm. They become the solution Mm -hmm. and it's game over for the enemy when Mm -hmm. men rise up. Yeah. Mm. I love the end of that story that you just shared. You've told us before about when you arrived at the rehab or the safe house yeah. and you got back in the car. What the, can oh you share gosh, what the yes. men were doing when so you got we, back in the car? Um, yeah, so back up to we get this, this precious woman out of that motel and we get her safely to the rehab center. And I get back into that truck. And, I mean, it's an emotional thing and it's, all of it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of risk involved. I get back in the truck and we start driving away and there's Roe and, and another one of the Freedom Show guys and they turn on worship music and they started singing mm. and praising God for what he had just done. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, this is yeah. this is what a warrior yeah. in God's army looks like. Mm-hmm. They're the modern day mm-hmm. heroes in mm-hmm. my mind. That's, mm-hmm. that's the team I work with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I trust these men Mm -hmm. with the most vulnerable among us. And I know they will be safe. They will do everything they can to protect them. Mm -hmm. Even if it costs them their own life, Mm -hmm. I know that that's what these men would do. And they honor them and they treat them with kindness. It's -hmm. a a beautiful, powerful Mm -hmm. thing. So the men are just as important. Mm-hmm. In this, as the women are, we have amazing advocates. Our team of women are, I tell everybody, like, I feel like we have an A team mm-hmm. of advocates. But if the men were not safe, then they already, the, the survivors that we're serving can't trust us because they didn't have a safe experience with those who originally picked them up and, and got them. You know, if they weren't safe there, then they've already, they're going to run. And so it's so critical that the men that join this team 
are godly men full of integrity who have a heart to defend and protect. Can you all tell us about how our community can get involved? I'd love to know from a prayer perspective how they can be covering your team in prayer. I'd love to know financially what needs are right now and then also with time. I don't know if there are things that can be done if there are women around the country, around the world that are listening, and then also for women in our backyard here. What are your immediate needs and how can we get involved? Okay, so first of all, um, we definitely need a lot of people praying for us, volunteering with us, and financially partnering with us. We literally need all of those things on an ongoing basis because this mission is endless. We're never going to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we consistently need funding to come in. We have a safe house here in the DFW area. We're opening another one in Colorado um, in 2021. We have an emergency shelter that we run as well. And those are things that, again, we were providing 24-7 advocacy. These women, once they come into our care, are are cared for around the clock. Um, And we provide everything they need from medical to the clothing that they need. Um, They're getting coping skills, stabilization. Mm -hmm. We're, um, We're providing all of their needs while they're with us. And so that, obviously, it takes a lot to do that. And so we have that ongoing um, program here, just right here in the DFW area. And then there's all of the international work that we're doing as well. Um, We have a school in Pakistan that we were able to um, partner with this year that they are rescuing kids who have been labor trafficked. These are Christian kids. And they have been, you know, forced to, to work. They weren't able to get an education. And now they're able to be in a safe place get an education, and um, and we're super excited about that. And as well, that facility is able to house women who are being rescued out of sex trafficking. And again, these are Christian women. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted in Pakistan. And I'm so excited about that. And we're actually, um, that school is in honor of Rose's original business partner, um, David Scholl, who passed away about this time last year amazing man who wrote all of our um, strategies and plans to be able to rescue around the world. That's that's how we were so successful in Iraq is because of the work of David Scholl. Um, and so this school is named in honor of him, which is incredible. We have ongoing operations in the Philippines. Um, again, we mentioned Didi. He is a one-man army who was so anointed by God. Um, but he is constantly doing missions to rescue kids out of um, being forced to be child soldiers, also locating those that are being sex trafficked. I mean, he's, he's covering a gamut um, of all the different facets of trafficking there in the Philippines, and he's been so successful at what he does, and we want to continue to just keep funding him and mm-hmm. please be praying for him because mm-hmm. he... He does high-risk operations all the time, and um, and God has protected this man, and I just want the prayer warriors to mm-hmm. pray for Didi mm-hmm. all around the world. Um, we also feel very called to go back to Iraq, and so we're asking people to pray for that because we don't feel like we're finished, mm-hmm. um, and we, we still have a lot of, of good relationships there that we can still affect a lot of rescues, so we want to get back in, into that region as well. Another part of what we're able to do is um, we feel very called to the persecuted church. And there are some pastors in Iran and Afghanistan and other places that we are constantly supporting and monitoring um, just for their safety. 
And um, that is another part of what Freedom Shield Foundation is doing. We have people on our team that are monitoring around the world 24-7. We never stop um, with our, you know, just kind of that command post is watching all of these different individuals around the world. And, um, and so please just be praying because we, we know that God's called us to, to the most vulnerable wherever they are in the world. Um, we're still negotiating for the release of those that have been held captive in Nigeria. And so we want people praying for that as well. And, and again, right here in the United States, um, we, we want to open 35 safe houses in 35 cities across the U.S. We know that right now we have at least 300,000 kids that are being lured into sex trafficking every year in the United States. Okay, these are just the minors. There are only 529 beds in the nation for sex traffic victims. That's including safe houses, emergency shelters, and long-term restoration homes. We have to we have to provide these safe places for them to go. Law enforcement, many times I work very closely with Homeland Security and, and different police departments, they can't even affect some of the things that they know are happening because they don't have anywhere to take victims if they were to rescue them because we don't have housing for them. So it is very important to us to open as many safe shelters that are run with excellence, that have the clinical background that we need and the spiritual background that we know has to be existing in that place for people to really get what they need. So we want them to be done with excellence, and we want them all over the nation so that as soon as someone is identified, they can get to a safe place immediately. We're not going to vet them out for you know a million different reasons why they don't qualify to be in our program. Like We want to be like, yes, we'll make it work. And so that's another thing that we would love prayer for. And they'll have the matching security teams with them in those cities. Yes, so that there will be Freedom Shield teams to transport them, to secure the location, um, and and provide them. Once they get rescued and brought into a safe house, they still have doctor's visits. They have all kinds of things that, court dates, things that we have to constantly be able to safely get them to and from and never just close the location of our safe house in the process. Um, so we have here locally, we have um, men who volunteer with our organization. Some of them are working in the op center and they're able to really just be a part of monitoring what's happening and letting us know immediately if there's anything going on that Roe needs to, you know, activate. Wake up. Yeah. He needs to, sometimes the man actually sleeps. <laughs> He's getting to sleep a little bit more the more men that we have volunteering. Um, we also have men that volunteer to uh, work in our transport team. And another part of what we do at Freedom Shield Foundation is a feeding program because we realize that 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 food vulnerability in our nation is a real thing now. Mm -hmm. And we packaged a million meals this summer during COVID to hand out to our local community. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we would package meals, we had over 2,000 volunteers helping us. As soon as we would package meals and get them delivered, the... Um, food banks were calling us going, do you have more? Like we're already out. And Mm -hmm. so if you aren't personally experiencing that food insecurity, Mm -hmm. I promise you people in your community are. Mm -hmm. And so that leaves people vulnerable to doing things that we would never want to do. We don't want to have to sell ourselves online or be a part of some of those things. But 
if you don't have the funding to take care of your children and provide food for them, then sometimes that leaves you vulnerable mm-hmm. to traffickers and predators or to soliciting for yourself. So we want to provide food for those who are in need to prevent some of these vulnerabilities that we've seen um, in our own community. So we have a lot of volunteers that help with the food packaging events that we do. Um, so we would love for people to come yeah. out. It's a good way to kind of yeah. just get started yeah. with this organization. Come out and, and get to know us, package a bunch of meals, and we'll get those out to our local community. And then for those that are um, interested in the advocacy part of what we do, we are, um, we're able to train you fully so that you feel very equipped to work in the safe house and to work directly with the survivors that we're serving while they're with us in the safe house. And during this time, I mean, you're able to get to know her just to be a a safe place. You get to cook dinner with her, you know, and maybe you're doing a puzzle. It's not, again, these are not hard things, but it's just being a safe person. Um, And if you don't feel like you have the capacity for that right now, but you're going, I would love to provide a home-cooked meal, or I'll create a welcome basket for the girls that come in. Um, they need clothing, you know. We we love Target gift cards. I mean, anything to be able to provide them clothing. They usually come with the clothes that they have on their back, and that's it. Um, so they really need everything once they arrive. And so we would love to have any local volunteers for sure. And if you are around the world listening to this, um, again, we constantly just need those basic items. So even giving us a you know a Amazon gift card, anything mm-hmm. where we can keep um, ordering the supplies that they need. Mm-hmm. We have to keep all of that stuff, you know, constantly going in our safe house. Um, so those are a few ways that mm-hmm. people could get involved with us if they wanted to volunteer. And then obviously we have prayer teams that are praying for us locally. If you want to get plugged in and meet on a monthly basis with mm-hmm. our team, hear from us directly how you can be praying. We would love to invite you to be a part of that or just mm-hmm. start a prayer yeah. <laughs> team in your yeah. own community yeah. and we'll send you ways that you can be praying so that you can stay connected as well. Mm, that's awesome. I'll put all this in the show notes so awesome. we can go right <laughs> we can have it all listed out for everybody <laughs> so that you can go back and visit that and pray about what ways that you want to get involved. But I want to thank you guys so much for taking time yes, to be here you. this evening thank and you. sharing. And I'd love to close us with a quick prayer and just invite the Lord back into this space as we close out today. But thank you for being here. Yes, thank you. Lord, we, we praise you, God. We praise you for the God that you are, the way that you allow us to know you. Lord, I want to praise you for the way that you have created Roe and Carrie in your image God, the way that you have stirred in their souls and lit their hearts on fire, God, we just praise you for the way that we get to know them. We get to know you through them. And God, I pray that you would protect them and their teams and the work that they're doing. I pray that you would protect the the women that they are rescuing. I pray that you would protect the children. I pray for the right doors to open and that you would be so present in every corner and every turn that they take. Lord, we are just, God, we are so, so thankful. We are so, so thankful that we have this space to hear from you through them tonight. God, I pray for every woman and man that listens to this podcast. God, I I have a bold, bold prayer 
I pray that you would touch every single soul that listens to this in some way. And God, there's no way that we can know all those ways, but you do. And the souls that are listening do. And God, I pray that every single person would walk away knowing you more and that they would have a stirring that they didn't have when they pressed play and that they would take action. God, that it wouldn't just be a stirring and we'd go back to our day and go back to our week. But God, it would be a stirring where we move, where we respond, where we engage, where we lean in, and where we become curious. God, we praise you, and Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. To learn more about Freedom Shield Foundation, how to volunteer, and how to make a donation, you can visit freedomshieldfoundation.com. Did you enjoy this episode? Would you hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and share this podcast with a girlfriend? A great way to help us get the word out is by screenshotting this episode on your cell phone and tagging us at Wheatful Woman to your Instagram story. We'd love to hear your favorite parts of the show so we can keep creating episodes that show up to serve you. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to catch you next time.